Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. family, let me, uh, I have a privilege today of introducing a hero of mine that's getting ready to bring us the scriptures. Let me give a little backstory um, to the person I'm getting ready to introduce. When I was in college and God had just called me to ministry, I didn't know anything about how to preach, so what I would do is I would sneak up to our computer lab as it was closing, and you weren't supposed to download anything there. I would illegally download sermons from three different people. Uh, One was Adrian Rogers, old school. Two was uh, Tony Evans, and three was the man that's bringing us the word today, a guy named Mike Bro. Uh, Mike's story is uh, he, uh, there was a, a church in Kentucky, my home state, that had had a beloved legendary pastor for 40 years. Does this sound familiar? <laughs> and, uh, and Mike was the young maverick pastor that was called to succeed that man. And he came and the Lord blessed his ministry in an incredible way. And that church grew to around 10,000 people under Mike's leadership. And uh, just saw Mike has an incredible heart uh, for people to know and experience the love of Jesus. And uh, man, just on a personal note, when God called me here and I was like, man, I, what do I need to do? Mike reached out to me personally and just said, hey, Josh, if there's ever any encouragement that I can give you, just want you to know I'm here for you. And so Lake Point family, would you please help me give a warm Lake Point welcome to my friend and long distance mentor, Mike Bro. Would you do that right now? That's right. Thanks a lot, man. Well, what's up, everybody? Great to be here at Lake Point. I've been looking forward to this for a for quite a while now, I'm really excited to get to hang out with y'all this weekend. I, I have a ton of respect for, uh, for Josh and a ton of respect for, uh, for Steve. And man, I just, uh, I can't believe I get to be here this weekend in 98 degrees. Uh, I'm from uh, Ventura, California is where I live now. And when I left, it was 61. And so it was quite a shock when I, when I walked off the plane. But man, I, I'm, I'm excited to get to be at y'all. I'm originally from Kentucky. Uh, I feel right at home in Ventura, California. It's a funky little beach town, and they jokingly refer to it as Ventucky. So I feel right at home in that place, and uh, our, our kids started a church there, and I teach at several churches in the area. So uh, when I had this weekend open to come, I was excited that, uh, that I get, could get to come and hang with you all this weekend. Uh, I've been in this series here called Uncommon, and I'd like to wrap it up uh, today by taking us all to the... Uh, Optician's office. You ever ever been to that place with the, the eye doctor? Um, may, maybe you've uh, maybe you've seen a, an eye chart like this. You know, on a on a doctor's wall, it's got all the different different uh, you know lines that you can read. I, anybody, anybody need corrective lenses? Anybody like me? Yeah. Well, well, I, I went in, I went to a doctor's office one time, and and I knew he was going to ask me to do the eye chart, and he, and he left the room, and he said, "I'll be right back." So when he left, I memorized like the bottom line. 
And, and I'm, I'm talking the, the very bottom line where it said, you know, the, the very fine print. He comes back in and goes, all right, pick a line that you can read. And I went, uh, copyright 1953, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He goes, wow. I go, no, E, that's all I got, man. All I can see is E right now. Because uh, most of my life, ever since, in fact, ever since sixth grade, uh, I've, I, I wore a pair of these. Uh, anybody else nearsighted? You can't see far away stuff. Uh, I remember the first time I slipped these on and tried to hit a baseball, I was like, oh, is that what that looks like? It was like, it was just like awesome when I, when I got these things. And then I started wearing uh, contact lenses af after that. But uh, about uh, probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 years ago now, I got, I got LASIK surgery. And I could, I could throw these things and my contacts away, 12 seconds on each eye. And after 12 seconds, I got out of that chair and I could, I could see, I could see the clock. It was, it was, it, it was amazing. So my, my myopia has been cured. The deal is I still struggle from time to time with a little spiritual myopia. Anybody else, anybody else spiritually nearsighted at times or as long as life is all about me, I can see it great. But if your needs are foggy and out in the distance, well, that's okay because I don't really need to see those anyway. As long as I can see my life, clearly, that's all that matters. I mean, who needs a worldview anyway? I mean, you know, global poverty and racial reconciliation and sex trafficking and, you know, pe people got their problems. I got mine. I can see mine. And through the years, I've had to ask the Holy Spirit of God to do some LASIK on my heart so I could see with his eyes. I, I don't know whether some of you might be uh, farsighted. Anybody else farsighted? You having trouble reading? These days, got a pair of these. I got readers all over, all over my house these days. I go to the dollar store and buy like 10 pair and put them in every room. I just got them all over the place. In fact, we were at a restaurant the other night, Debbie and I, and I, w I couldn't read the menu until she was done with the glasses and passed them to me. It's just, it's getting pathetic. Now I can read license plates a mile away now, but I can't see up close anymore. And I think there's also a condition like that, spiritually speaking, where you can pick out the flaws of your brother 100 yards away but you can't see your own stuff up close. I mean, you could see the speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye, but you're never introspective about your own stuff. You never pray a prayer like, search me, oh God. Is there anything in my heart that needs to get fixed? Do you see any offensive way in me? God, open the eyes of, of my heart. And I've learned if you refuse to pray that kind of humble, introspective type of prayer, uh, your condition only worsens. And you end up with, let's just call them blind spots. Those are things in you that everybody but you can see. I don't know, maybe a little pride, a little envy, maybe some insecurity, some irritability. Uh, De Debbie's car has a, has a blind spot monitor on the side mirror that lets you know if somebody's right there and it comes in, I'm telling you, super helpful in LA traffic. Uh, and spiritually speaking, we all need a blind spot monitor in our life. All of us need an honest friend, somebody that loves us enough to say, hey, listen, dude, you got, some, you got some blind spots right now. I've got some guys in my life that point out stuff to me, point out blind spots that I might have, and I can point out blind spots that they may have, and it's been invaluable in keeping my life on track. And I don't even know what this is te technically, the, the condition is, uh, but it's a stigmatism. It's where you, where you put on, you, you have some kind of distorted, distortion in your, in your vision. And, and man, a bunch of people in our culture sure have that astigmatism stuff, where we base other people's worth 
on stuff like their size or their shape, their ability, their disability, their, their beauty, their occupation, the color of their skin, their financial status, their political leanings. And gang, when we start judging people, we stop seeing them for the priceless, one-of-a-kind, handcrafted masterpieces that God made and loves. That, that's what the Pharisees of Jesus' day did. They saw the same people Jesus did. They just didn't see with the same eyes that Jesus had. Helen Keller once said this. That she said, eyes that cannot see, well, they might be healed. But eyes that will not see, they can't be helped. And that's why a distorted vision, a self-righteous kind of heart, is the most dangerous of all spiritual conditions. I don't know how many of you wear, wear these, these things here. Uh, I love to do construction stuff. Uh, I love to renovate old houses. We bought an old house. I've been renovating for the past almost five years now. My wife makes total fun of me, calls me Chip and Joanna. That's what, because I, I love to tear stuff up. I love to do all the carpentry stuff. I do the demo day. I put it all back together, and then I go pick out the pillows. I, it's, just, it's just the way God wired me up. But I wore these a couple of days ago, actually ripping some lumber on a, on a table saw, and Debbie w- wants me to wear these more often. But, but my way of thinking is I wear them too much. Again, I'm, I'm speaking spiritually here. It's, it's that condition where, where, where you can see, but you just want to stay safe. Just afraid to get involved, afraid to be vulnerable, afraid that you might get scammed, afraid you might get used. So you slip these on your heart to protect yourself from the messiness that compassion might bring into your life. Now, I think we need to be wise and discerning, but honestly, at least in my own life, this has just been a cover-up for a lack of courageous love. You see, no one's ever seen quite like Jesus. Talk about an uncommon, uncommon vision. He wasn't nearsighted, he wasn't farsighted, didn't have astigmatism, no blind spots in his life, had tremendous peripheral vision. But even more than that, he wore these. He saw things in 3D. These glasses right here, I ripped them off from the Lion King just two weeks ago. Put them in my pocket, walked out, said, I'm going to Lake Point, I'm taking these glasses with me. Uh, you, you know, when you watch things in 3D, it just makes things come alive, doesn't it? I'm sitting there watching The Lion King with these little kids, and, and a dragonfly was on the screen, but it felt like it was right here. I wanted to catch it as it went by. I mean, it just, it just makes things come alive, and Jesus saw the world that way. He saw the world in 3D. And the reason I say 3D is because Jesus looked through the lenses of an uncommon love. And at least in my way of thinking, love is a 3D kind of thing. And I want to give you those three Ds. This is really, really simple. But the first D that describes the kind of love that Jesus had, the way he saw was love is a decision. Did you know that? Love is a decision. Contrary to popular belief, love is not an involuntary act of the hormones. It's a voluntary act of the will. And our culture, man, is all about love, aren't we? Bookstores are sagging with the volume of, of, of novels that have been written on romance, and Hollywood is cranking out love story after love story, and how many love songs have been sent out over the way, airwaves at night by Delilah? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about song Ed Sheeran's, you know, I'm dancing in the dark with you between my arms, barefoot in the grass. You look perfect. Tonight, John's led, John Legend's All of Me loves all of you. The new Clinger song by Katy Perry, just because it's over doesn't mean it's really over. And if I take it over, maybe you'll be coming over again. 
my favorite. Ain't no, ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you. I'm thinking, you need to get a restraining order. <laughs> but uh, I, I went on a love journey uh, early on in my life to try to figure out what this love stuff was. And um, it started for me in the fifth grade. Uh, there's this girl named Kathy that sat in front of me in class. And man, she was so stinking cute. I mean, I had a huge crush on this girl. And every, every year at Valentine's Day, we would we'd make these goofy looking little sacks with a doily on them and the heart, you know, and we, everybody, everybody would bring Valentine's cards for everybody. And we'd dump them in everybody's sack. Well, I took my bag home that day, and I remember dumping them out on my bed looking for Kathy's. And I found it, and it said right there in number two lead pencil, I love you, Mike. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it, man. Next day, I'm chasing her at recess, throwing rocks at her. You know, the way you show affection in the fifth grade, because man, I was in love with, with this girl. Now, my, my dating <laughs> techniques changed slightly when I got into high school. Uh, I wasn't throwing rocks at people anymore, but I can remember sitting in a movie theater with this girl. Uh, I wanted to hold her hand so bad. I mean, my heart would start pounding. No kidding, I would sit there, and my hands would get all sweaty. And by, I, in my mind, I would go into a countdown mode I'd look at her hand, I'd go, all right, come on, bro, you can do this. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 4, 3, 2, 1, 10, 9. I mean, it just took me forever. But when I did, and we interlocked fingers, and we rubbed thumbs together, oh, I'm so, I'm so in love with this girl. I kissed that girl about a, about a few months later. First time I ever kissed a girl on her front porch. It, it didn't take that long. I didn't care, man. I floated all the way home. You ever driven somewhere and you get there and you can't remember what route you took to get there? That's the way it was at night, sat in the driveway going, how'd I get home? Because I was just floating all the way home. Three years later, that same girl walked down the, the aisle of a church in a beautiful white dress, got up on the stage, passed her, asked a question. I said, I do. And she said, I guess. And we kissed each other and we walked out of that church as husband and wife. And I remember thinking, man, this, this is what love is like. Three years later, I watched that same girl go through 36 hours of labor to bring our first child into the world. And that's when it hit me. Oh, maybe that's what love is like. See, love is not a feeling that you fall in and out of. It's a verb that you choose to do. Jesus would not only see a, a blind beggar or, or a leper or, or a paralyzed person or a broken person or a confused person or an oppressed person, not only did he like feel compassion toward them, he chose to act because love is a decision. He, Jesus even warns us in Matthew 24 verse, verse 12 when he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most is gonna grow cold. He's just saying, people are gonna become more and more myopic. And unless you and I intentionally focus our lives outwardly, focus our vision outwardly, we're gonna become more self-centered and more self-focused. That's where that old sin nature just, just gravitates. Hey, hey, with all that's going on in the world, man, I gotta look out for number one. May that verse never be true of us. May our love not get colder as evil and the consequences associated with it bring pain and suffering into a family, into a city, into a nation, into a global community, the people of God choose to step up and love more fervently than ever before. The early Christians were known for that. The most common thing written about the early Christians was 
These people love everybody. I ran across a, a few years ago something that a second century historian named Aristides sent, sent, sent a report back to the Roman emperor about these Jesus followers, and this is what he wrote. They do not keep for themselves the goods entrusted to them. They do not covet what belongs to others. They show love to their neighbors. They do not do to another what they would not have done to themselves. They speak gently to those who oppress them. And in this way, they make them their friends. It has become their passion to do good to their enemies. They live in the awareness of their smallness. Every one of them who has anything gives ungrudgingly to the one who has nothing. If they see a traveling stranger, they bring him under their roof. They rejoice over him as over a real brother. For they do not call one another brothers after the flesh, but they know they are brothers in God. If they hear that one of them is imprisoned or oppressed for the sake of Christ, they take care of all of his needs. If anyone among them is poor or comes into want while they themselves have nothing to spare, they will fast two or three days for him. In this way, they can supply any poor man with the food that he needs. This, O emperor, is the rule of the life of the Christians, and this is their manner of life. Wouldn't it be cool to have that written about us? And these, these people didn't have a Bible yet. I mean, all they had to go on was that Jesus, the one who came back from the dead, had said, a new commandment I give you. Love others as I have loved you. These people internalize what the Apostle Paul wrote when he said, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You know, a lot of us set personal goals from time to time, and to reach them, we have to get super intentional about them, right? And so, you know, you know I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to read more. I'm going to get better grades this school year. I'm going to spend more time with my family. I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to get organized. I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to enjoy life, whatever. And those are good goals. Those are worthy goals, noble goals. But check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let love be your what? Highest goal. Let love be your highest goal with careful thought and an intentional, intentional plan of action. Let love be your highest goal. You work at that harder than anything else. Whatever choice you make throughout the day, you start by asking, what would love have me do today? And get intentional about that and look for opportunities all around you to do that because love is a decision. Second D is love is a demonstration. Love is a decision and love is a demonstration. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. He says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. I remember one time going to school, my son Derek was in the fourth grade and I went to, uh, went to the elementary school to eat lunch with him. My wife was working in the cafeteria at the time and uh, I, I walk in, start talking to her, I look over and Derek and this girl are at a table all by themselves. The rest of the classmates are at another table all kind of crammed together. And I'm thinking, wait, way to go, Derek. It took me to fifth grade, but you fourth grade, way to go, man. And uh, so I asked Debbie, I said, what's up with Derek and that girl? And she goes, I can't even look over there. I want to start crying. I go, why? She goes, that's the girl everybody in the class makes fun of. They say she doesn't smell very good. She has old clothes. She's not very smart. And Derek's the only one that'll eat lunch with her. I said, oh, man. So I, I never went over there and sat with him. I waited for him when he got off the school bus that day, and uh, he got off the bus, and I put my arm around him walking down the sidewalk, and I said, dude, I was at school today. I was going to eat lunch with you, but I saw you eating with that girl, and buddy, I got to tell you, man, I'm so proud of you. I said, why'd you do that? 
And he looked at me at the most innocent fourth grade look and said, well, well, Dad, didn't you, didn't you say in your sermon you're supposed to love everybody? I said, yeah, I said that. I didn't think anybody'd do it, but I, yeah, I, I, I said that. He just figured it out. Don't, don't just say you love others, like really love them. You know, you know Josh talked about compassion uh, just a few weeks ago. And I'm not, I'm not sure whether he unpacked the Greek word for compassion, but the Greek word is spolakna. Spol- say that with me, spolakna. Say it one more time. You gotta say it from your gut, spolakna. Then it sounds like you just had some bad Taco Bell and you spolakna all over the place, right? That's where it comes from. It's that, it's that stirring in your gut that moves you to action, that moves, that moves to your eyes and to your heart and to your mind and to your hands, to your feet, to your wallet. It's where you say, man, I, I, I gotta do something about this. Jesus tells that famous story. It's commonly known as the parable of the good Samaritan about this guy who has spalachna. Because he sees this dude that's beaten up. He's been robbed, he's been left for dead on the side of the road. And all these religious folks just pass him by on this road to Jericho. But this guy, he was different. He felt Jesus calls spalachna and actually stopped and helped the victim. He did something. So Jesus asked a young lawyer in the crowd after he tells this story, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, well, the one who had spalachna on him. And Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. A few years ago, I got to take a group of uh, business guys and athletes down to Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and we were working like dogs, man. It was so hot and humid, and we, we were laying concrete block on an orphanage, mixing concrete and playing with kids and sweating dirty. It was so fun to watch these guys just come alive because they were demonstrating love. And a lot of little kids were having a dentist uh, treat their teeth for the very first time. And as they waited in line, there was a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety about what was gonna happen when they let somebody get in their mouth. And this guy, Brian, sits down next to this little girl who was crying. He put his arm around her and then pulled her up on his lap and sat there as she began to cry. He said, as she began to cry, I began to cry. Because I looked down at her little green dress and saw all these little tear stains on it. I couldn't tell whether they were hers or mine. I thought, man, just he was so fully alive. I got to watch your 40th. Uh, celebration. I watched it online. I was so moved by what God has done through you in this place. It's amazing the uncommon love you've shown for this world and your community. And I'm so grateful for the leadership of Steve and, and others and now Josh that's always wanted to be known as just a church that loves other people, giving hope and practical help all, all over the place. I mean, y'all are inspiring. And I, and I listen to people who, who like sponsor kids through things like Compassion International. I listen to them talk about their kids like they're their own kids, got their picture on their fridge. I watch people who sponsor another fellow struggler in AA or, or NA, and they just, they love them with this humble, totally unconditional kind of love. And I see foster families opening up their homes to embrace families in crisis. I see students standing up and including those who have been bullied or made fun of. And, I, and I, every time I see it, I think, man, they're, they're seeing people like Jesus does. I mean, whatever you choose to do, notice people. Get out in the community and put yourself in a position where you can see what is wrong. Get into places where you can observe the injustice that's going on and actually feel the need. Create space for the Holy Spirit to move in your heart. Now, not everybody can travel great distances, but you can walk across the cul-de-sac. You can work in a food pantry. You can take a pet to a nursing home. You can swing a hammer on a habitat house, but cross socioeconomic lines. You may be going to India someday. 
but you may just be going across the street. It just means getting up and doing something because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I mean, the Bible makes it really, really clear. I mean, passages like, uh, like Psalm 82 says, defend the cause of the weak. Defend the cause of the fatherless and maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. James 1.27 reminds us pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And I love these words spoken directly from God through Isaiah 58. It says, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. If you do that, then, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. I love that then in there. It's just saying when you get your eyes off yourself and you start to see with 3D your own healing, your own light begins to break through. In other words, there is healing for yourself by not focusing so much on yourself. Jesus' best friend, a guy named John, writes to a bunch of brand new Jesus followers and he tenderly refers to them as little children. I don't know whether he's older when he wrote it, but he just, said, he just called them little children. He said, little children, we love because he first loved us. I mean, if anybody says, I, I love God, yet hates his brother, well, honestly, he's just a liar. For anybody who does not love his brother whom he has seen can't love God whom he's not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The kitchen smells like supper and the table's ready waiting. And someone says they thought we ought to pray before we ate and would I thank the Lord for all he has so bountifully bestowed. But please don't pray too long because the meat is getting cold. On the other side of town, a mother sets another table for herself and several children just as well as she is able, but there's not too much because last night's man, he didn't pay so well. Will there be enough for breakfast? Well, it's really hard to tell. Am I passing by the man beside the road to Jericho? Have I cruelly snubbed the woman there as to the well I go? Am I my brother's keeper? Cup of water, did you say? Is the second mile outside my door or somewhere down the way? Well, the news is over now. There's football on another station when at the door appears my aunt and half of our relation and we all remark how nice to have the family here this way. It's our love that binds us all so close. It's, it's great to always stay while on a, in a dark and dingy room, a young girl eyes the walls around her. And she wonders if one soul would care if in three weeks they found her. All her life she's been rejected, never had an honest friend. Is it life or mere existence? Who would care if it should end? Am I passing by the man beside the road to Jericho? Have I cruelly snubbed the woman there as to the well I go? Am I my brother's keeper? Cup of water, did you say? Is a second mile outside my door or somewhere down the way? Well, the family's gone, it's quiet, and the bed is soft beneath me, but instead of sleeping dreams, my restless thoughts creep up to meet me, and somewhere in the distance, I hear hungry children cry, and a girl unloved, uncared for, brings a tear into my eye. Well, if people saw me weeping, they think that I was mad, but I tell them it's a nightmare, or the dream I dreamed was bad. I must gain my self-control. Tomorrow is Sunday school, and so, bloodshot eyes on a Sunday morning. Folks might talk a lot, you know. If a man loves not his brother, he is able now to see that he makes himself a liar when he says that he loves me. Little children, it's not thoughts or words that prove your love to all. 
If your love is not an action, then it isn't love at all. Love is a demonstration. It's, the de- it's a decision. One more D, love is always the difference. It's always the difference. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard whoever's officiating the wedding read from 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, if I give all my money to the poor, even if I surrender myself as a martyr of the faith and I don't have love, I'm just a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. In other words, without love, all of it, all of it's just obnoxious noise. Because love is always the difference. I loved how uh, Dr. Martin Luther King would describe his ideal world. He would describe it in terms of what he called the quote unquote beloved community. It's a community where the love of God is just working in the lives of all people and it's moving everybody toward justice and dignity and goodwill and humility and respect. His widow, uh, Coretta Scott King, elaborated on that vision many years later and she described it like this, the beloved community is not a place. It's a state of heart and mind, a spirit of hope and goodwill that transcends all boundaries and all barriers and embraces all creation. It's a state of heart and mind. It's a different way to see. It's 3D love. And that's what always makes the difference. Someone once asked Mother Teresa what she saw as she walked the streets of Calcutta where the poorest of the poor lived and worked with with leper colonies and worked with the starving and, and orphans. And this is what she said, you know what I see? I see Jesus in a distressing disguise. So what are you and I called to do? Here it is, to see what Jesus would see if he were looking through our eyes and then respond as he would respond. Gang, it's about the heart. It's about an uncommon heart that beats after the same things that God's heart beats after. It's about compassion. It's about spalachna. It's about seeing Jesus in the least of these. It's about seeing people with a 3D difference-making kind of love. I've kept this quote on my office wall for many years. Ian Watson wrote it. It says, we live on a contaminated planet It's contaminated on every level. I mean, it should have been quarantined from heaven. No reasonable God would go near it with a 10-foot pole. But Jesus is no reasonable God. He became a human being and took on your uncleanness and mine. But instead of the world infecting him, he infected the world. And with his immaculate infection, it's still spreading. So what do you say we live uncommon lives? That we become people of uncommon compassion, uncommon purity, uncommon courage, uncommon faith, uncommon generosity, uncommon peace, uncommon joy. And let's take off the blinders and let's see like Jesus sees and notice that notice people that nobody else notices. Let's open our hearts, let's open our minds, let's open our hands, let's open our homes. Let's love with an uncommon 3D kind of love. Let's pray together. Father, so grateful for the way you love us. I mean, you tell us over and over that your love is absolutely unfailing, that uh, 
Your love is deep and it's high and it's wide and it's long. And God, you know it's my deepest passion for people to grasp that. One of the reasons, God, we find it hard to love sometimes is because we haven't experienced your love. And my prayer is that somebody here today has always thought you were like mad at them or ticked off at them or disappointed in them, that they would know the truth today that you, you don't see them that way. You love them. I mean, with this radical, crazy, fierce, reckless, unconditional kind of love. And I pray, God, as we grasp your love for us, that we would extend that same love to other people. God, a bunch of us are going back to school, back to work this week, and I just pray that we would see the people that Jesus would see and see them in the way that Jesus would see them and then begin to demonstrate that love to the people that you put in our path this week. God, we really do want to live uncommon lives. We want what, what was written in the second century about those Christians. I, God, I, we want that written about us, that these people love everybody. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church slash digital.